0: Let's brew something up.
1: Hey, brew crew, all our tea drinkers, coffee drinkers, whiskey drinkers, beer drinkers out there in the world. This is Will Kern from Endless Events. Hi, this is Nick Borelli from Borelli Strategies. And uh, welcome back to another episode of Event Brew, um, where we're going to be having a really interesting topical
0: conversation soon. But before we dive into that, Nick, Nick, what do you got? What do you got in your cup today? It's uh, you know for some reason I. I- Going with a little bit more of, uh, less energy right now, uh, because I'm getting my energy via vitamins to stave off the kids' sicknesses. Um, so I'm drinking a cucumber melon sparkling water, uh, that I got from this, uh, fresh time farmers market. And, uh, I've been addicted to it. Like, I think this is like my fourth or fifth case in the last couple of weeks. Mm,
1: I like it. I like it a lot. I'm, uh, I'm. Uh, anytime you're not drinking monster, I think uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm very happy. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah. Um, today I'm sipping on uh, a tea known as Smooth Jazz. Oh boy, I know. And it, uh, it basically on the label it says it's a coffee replacement. Again, like I don't drink coffee, but um, it's it was just really good. I was in the tea shop and they're like, here, try this and. Uh, I like it. It's got some cacao in it and stuff like that, I guess. And, um, I should probably look at the label, but if anyone really cares, feel free to tweet me and I'll tell you what it's all about. Um, but I probably need to remember to start bringing like the labels for the teas so I can say, like, Oh yeah, it's got like cacao and like jasmine in it. And all those hmm. things. Uh, so I just taste good. It tastes good. That's all I care about.
0: That's so. a very red ocean of them to say that it is a coffee replacement. Uh, like the opposite how- of blue ocean. Yeah, I don't know how familiar you are with those two dichotomies. Like and I know blue ocean strategy, like the idea, like you pick uh, something that no one else is in. Yep. But then, but blue then, blue ocean strategy, red ocean, is- red ocean is the opposite. Red, red ocean says, uh, I give you an example, like so. You see advertisements for cell phones, and you see Apple, and Apple is like somebody dancing and having a great time and showing not no features, no benefits, just the life that you live. Uh, where their products are are seamlessly integrated to it then you see like a Nokia ad or, or uh, Panasonic and it's like we're we have the newest thing it's it's a hundred dollars cheaper than the iPhone it's like we are a reaction to mm. this other thing we have no identity outside of where we are in the marketplace we're just a competing um, a competing product that has, uh, you know, better services, cheaper pricing, et cetera. So red ocean says, you know, it's, we are a commodity and we, we live in the world of commodities and we're comfortable with that. Um, so when someone says this is the tea for, you know, a replacement for coffee, it says coffee is the norm. Uh, however, we're going to, you know, break you free of that. And it's, it's just a, um, I don't know, I'm always hyper aware of, of copy, um, that is declarative. Uh, like that. So when me, you know, like it would be like the, uh, like if, so if there was a conference, it would be like saying, we're the, um, we're, we're the more personalized version of CES. You know, we're the, um, you know, the smaller CES, you know, the CES with an attitude, not your dad's, you know, CES. That kind of, you know, way to talk about a, like a technology show, uh, would be pure red ocean. And it would be, you know, just, just as an idea. So anyways, anytime I see copy that references, uh, a competing idea i always think about you know like that that organization has decided its place in the market is to uh you know lean on its strengths uh in the features and benefits column which you know put it in the in the idea of that the person writing it believes it is a commodity and that's okay you know it, it just there is limitations to being a commodity and i don't know i i've spent more time yeah, thinking about than they did yeah
1: more time for it he yeah, doesn't say probably more time for another episode for sure cuz I know we've talked talk a little bit about commodization, but it's interesting. maybe more in the the future. And tea, um, right? It's
0: the ultimate commodity. It's uh th- even a little slight yeah, it literally leaves created in another <laughs> government, right? So um <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true.
1: Well, that's what we're talking about today. We got something a little bit more interesting and um a time a little time sensitive as well. Yeah. Um as well. Um It's one of the shows so, that I think uh, about
0: the most throughout the year, I don't know about you. Ooh, the, the the oh, the, like the what we're the the TV show that we're gonna talk about. No, no, I mean the actual. <laughs> <laughs> no, th- this uh, example uh, of a technology utilized at uh, this show. Um, you know, I, I look at uh, there's a few different events that take place. Should we just tell them yeah. what it is? Consumer electronics. All right.
1: All right, yeah. So, ba- well, basically, we're, we we uh, found a Mashable article um, that it talks a little bit about a, um, a activation that happened at CES for um, the very now very popular TV show on HBO called Westworld, um, which is uh, kind of the uh, dystopian view on uh, what happens when ro- dystopian less dystopian, um, more like the realistic view on how maybe artificial intelligence can be used for entertainment. Um and very very interesting. So I don't think we're necessarily gonna talk about like Westworld and its impact on uh, potential impact on the events industry or anything like that. But I want to talk specifically about this event in activation because uh, the headline of the article is the most insightful vision of the future at CES came from HBO's Westworld. And I also saw a lot of headlines in here like um, people were were super creeped out, people were blown away, like you know things got really weird. Um, I, like, oh, there's a quote here, this can't be real. Many people murmured under their breaths, um, and things like that. But, um, should we kind of give them a basis as far as what happened at this, um, this event? We'll link to the article down below in the yeah. show notes, but.
0: I, mean, I, I will um, say that, like, potentially that. impetus for this would be, you know, where do they go from here? Two years ago at South by Southwest, there was an activation, uh, that Viacom, via HBO, via Westworld did. Um, that is, it was just unbelievable. They had a hundred characters. 100. Yeah. Can you, can you kind of explain what yeah. the, what it was? So. so it was it was a really cool idea uh, uh, that I really am enjoying to see more and more. Where it was a collaborative activation. So there was there was a number of different companies with the main organization being uh, HBO's parent, um, but also Lyft and a few other. I, I want to say that there was a Verizon or one of the other cell phone companies were involved in as well. And uh, attendees would be picked up, uh, in a car by Lyft, and then there was like an audio kind of like introduction of what to expect of this activation. But they took you off campus, uh, and they dropped you into this huge, uh, kind of like, uh, west, uh, wild west kind of, uh, town that they created. And they had a hundred character actors who had, I believe something to the degree of like, all in, all in told there's a 400 pages of script um that were that were kind of gave the parameters for these characters to act within uh and things they had to say uh eventually to get to it but they were they were to improv and also utilize these lines similar to like a Curb Your Enthusiasm style improv where you Im- you improvise with people um but you also have to get from a to b to c uh and you have to guide it there um people were blown away because it was completely immersive you know it, you got to wear the clothes and it felt like clothes. you
1: were in yeah yeah, yeah, you felt like you were in the show. Correct.
0: I mean, and the show is very much about the idea of being uh taken to this environment where um, there are "quote unquote" actors uh who are placing you by as. a By star. the way,
1: we should probably put. We should probably put a big. If you haven't watched Westworld, you plan on watching Westworld. This is probably going to have some spoilers. I, this is probably the one few times we'll say, "Don't listen to this event per episode." Maybe <laughs> like putting your bookmarks, come back to it after you watch. We could the talk show. about it broadly. Just don't league. want
0: to. Yeah, we could do I our mean, best. Yeah, there, don't
1: know you're the... right. It, some might slip out. Yeah, there's some stuff in there that we might end up spoiling. I don't want to spoil it because this is a great show and I think that it also shows oh, like
0: how artificial intelligence can be used. The data collection. Uh, in some yeah, way. If we yeah, talk about data collection, it's going to give right. it away. You're right. Especially yeah, the so. ultimate like position of what the, the, uh, the organization that puts on Westworld is actually doing. You're right. So there is spoilers here for yes. sure. Um, totally. It, it's, it's very much like a Black Mirror episode, um, done over, um, you know, multiple episode arcs. Um, and it really took the idea of the original '70s movie, which which was like basically a slasher movie. Like there wasn't a lot of depth mm-hmm. to it. I remember seeing the Yul Brenner version of it many times because uh, I just like all thing all things sci-fi, and there used to not be a glut of content. And uh, it's okay. This is like uh, similar to. I think this is going to be the idea around data collection and automation of what Minority Report did for online advertising. Like it. Yeah, it yeah, saw sure. it coming you know 10 years down you know 20 years down the pike and gave you a a fictionalized narrative version of what it looks like seamlessly integrated in, into people's lives even though the main basis for the film minority report was about precognition and you know and and uh the ideas of you know like do you have um uh, what am I thinking about? Choice. Yeah, exactly. And, like, things like that within within. Yeah. But the the filmmakers prediction. What's great about like most uh, Philip K. Dick books is that um there's they're short uh, or they're short stories, so like it gives other people adapting them the ability to put flavor in. And they went deep into the advertising. And as somebody who has worked in the online advertising world for for a number of years, like I just remember thinking back right when this you know, came about and Facebook started really getting into the advertising game harder and harder. Boy, this reminds me of Minority Report, the idea that they know stuff about the people who they are putting ads in Mm -hmm. front of. And, like, I could tell you as a marketer, I was – I mean, I've worked on a lot of bridal shows as an example. Like, it's B2C. You know, we buy billboards. It—it There couldn't be less targeted. We're targeting at, what, people who drive, who are in certain areas (laughs) of the – you know, who look up in certain areas of the city. Um, It's real – Throwing money at the wind and hoping for the best, right? I, I bought a lot of a lot of magazine uh, ads and designed a lot of full-page magazine ads. Um, I've done television as well, and that it gives you targets of like zip codes you can kind of miss or certain. When it comes to cable advertising, certain uh, channels that have a little bit more demographic information that's so not targeted. I mean, where I'm at right now, yeah. I used to think, man, that's really targeted. I could skip a zip code with this direct mailer because these people are poor and poor people can't afford yeah, me. Yeah, now it's like, no, I can make people who are, you know, like believe certain things see my information, and other people who don't believe it not.
1: Well, I think you bring up a good point too. That like Minority Report predicted this idea of like an ad living being like, "Hi, Ethan," it was not Ethan, Ethan's Mission possible character, whatever his character's name is, and <laughs> "Hi, Tom," and no one, <laughs> "Hi, Tom Cruise." You may as well just say that. <laughs> "Hi, Tom Cruise." Yeah, yeah, "Hi, Tom Cruise." Like, here's this ad, you know, and people were You're like, "You're running out oh, of toilet paper uh, at person. home.
0: Uh, you should get some more." Yeah,
1: you, yeah, and now Amazon's like. Oh, we can't, we like at CES they announced like all these devices that have weight scales, so yeah. when they know when you get low, they auto order to Have you heard about the Target thing the,
0: that happened like two years ago with the uh, the girl, the teenage girl?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, yeah. That, so for anyone who doesn't know that that story, um, essentially it was so well targeted; they <laughs> had so much data on this girl. They knew she was pregnant before she had told her parents, correct? And then advertising in the
0: mail for all these things. Since you're pregnant. Yeah,
1: all these baby (laughs) stuff. Since you're pregnant. Or I don't think I said since you're pregnant, but it was like baby products, baby products, baby products. And she was like, Why am why am I getting all these coupons for baby products? And then they realized like Target was so good at having and that was just based on purchase data. Yeah. It wasn't based on like they weren't scraping off of social media. So let's let's reel it into this this activation. So this activation was a two and a half hour long experience, interactive experience, um, at the Las Vegas Nomad for all our event professionals are curious where they held this. Um, and shout outs to the creative agency Giant Spoon who put this on. Um, and this was definitely a teaser for season three. I haven't, I've only read this article. I'm, I like to be surprised by TV shows. So I haven't watched any of the trailers or anything like that, but essentially it leads with that everyone is hearing about this invite. That from this company called Insight. And obviously, if you watch the show, you don't know anything about Insight quite yet. Um, but essentially, the activation, uh, happened that they reached out to a bunch of people, invited them to come, kind of similar to South by Southwest. I'm sure it was based on invite or press list or whatever it may be. And essentially, what they did is they came, they sent the attendees a survey and said, Hey, we want to ask you a bunch of questions. And the big questions that, if I remember right, in this article that it talks about, is they asked them about like food preferences, name, last name, um, what are the questions? Uh, whether they feel guilt after eating animals, um, that they feel anxious about the future, um, things like that. I they got I, I it so right
0: with 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 words like uh, fear and guilt. By the way, too, as somebody who writes a lot of surveys. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, it, go to like the opposite end of the spectrum of emotion. Well, it, it, actually including emotion. So not saying, do you prefer this or do you enjoy, you know, not even enjoy, but like, do you, you know, would you like this steak or the chicken? It's how does steak make you feel? You know, how does chicken make you feel? Like, uh, do you get anxious when you have this kind of stuff? And like anxiety questions, like questions about emotional feelings? It, it's so important when you're designing things, especially events, because, um, you know, if we're, if we're designing behavioral change, um, then we need to understand what the triggers are anyways. Totally.
1: So essentially, you know, people took a survey and I, I don't, I didn't read anything about this being a long survey. I don't remember this being like, no one said like this was like a multi-page. It seemed like it was really simple. So what's the point that they like talk about it in one sentence of this whole article? Um, But then what they did is then people were obviously getting really excited to come, um, and essentially what it was is it was to to take it to a high level. It was a dinner party with a keynote. That was it. But then it got weird very very quick. Um, So here's essentially kind of how this all played out. So um, this guy's walking in line. He's waiting in line, and in the article he talks about how he a woman walked up to him that he didn't recognize. And gave him a big hug and said how nice it was to see you, how his dog was, and how his boyfriend by name were doing. And he spent the whole time talking or wondering, man, did I forget that we had met? Or it happens, like, was this was this was this going you. on already? Yeah, I know exactly. Would I, you I, I roll said, with I'm that? Sure I would. Somewhere.
0: Totally roll with that. I'd be like, oh yeah, totally yeah that's great. People, yeah, my kid totally, has an Instagram yeah. account, has five thousand followers. Uh, I live way on the grid, right? Like, people can find anything yeah. they want.
1: Totally, totally. But the, the interesting thing is, he says, or if had the game had begun. Obviously, he experienced the entire um event, so he had a little bit of recollection. But, like, that was definitely, I think, the, the good thing. But he says that it quickly became clear that it was the latter. So um in the article, it basically says, throughout the night, Random folks approached me and my coworkers to discuss personal details of our lives, our work, the articles we had written, the changes in our hair color, um, and in one case, uncertainty whether or not to move out of their current city was warranted. Um, and it says that, like, essentially they found out that – the later they found out there was a 600-page script similar to what they did the last time that that was personally tailored for for the entire evening – so essentially what they did is they scoured the internet for all the information on these people and were able to build these epic scripts to personalize the experience. So it's all, it's instantly all people are coming up and talking about things that you don't know them, but they know a lot about you.
0: What's your opinion on that? So um, my opinion on this is is nuanced um, with the caveat that personally I'm all for it. Personally, I I don't believe in um, the level of privacy that most people believe in because I believe that every time you engage with one of these platforms, you are willingly uh, giving up privacy to everything that you publish. I believe that the Internet and writing on the Internet is not a communications platform um, like a telephone is necessarily. I believe it is a publishing platform uh, in which – we engage in their terms of service uh that set, that states whatever it states and oftentimes when it has no price and it offers a lot of great you know tools because it's uh you know paid for by someone else it comes with the stipulation that absolutely everything that that you give there is open for anyone to find out about so um i i just am not scared uh nor am i uh entitled to a product like a Facebook without, without, without paying the piper in the way that they have designed and I have agreed to. So for me, if you can find it, um, and you know, it's great. Like I'm all for it. Uh, I don't, I don't see the fear. Like I believe that I don't believe that, um, as an example, that Facebook is at fault for the election in the United States in 2016. I believe that people are at fault. People didn't check their facts. Mm-hmm. People are easily manipulated. People give information about themselves every day. They didn't go to the voting machines and vote for them. What they did is they influenced, uh, you know, the easily influenced by, uh, playing into their confirmation biases. But these are all, these are all people and they made poor decisions and, and their, um, their votes were not, um, very, you know, convicted based on reality and they they their um entitlement of a product that would protect them and help them and do all this stuff and not pay for uh in addition to um entitlement of thinking that they deserve unfiltered information without having to do any research uh led to lazy thinking and and lazy results so yeah uh, it's the user's fault to me me, it's always the user's fault
1: i can i can definitely get that opinion for sure um I, I think what's interesting about this too is that it took and I if you've ever watched Westworld, which I should probably watch Westworld if you're watching if you're listening to this at this point. If you're like, no, I haven't watched it, but I'm planning on watching. You probably like, tuned out. Um, but um, it has this almost I don't want to satire like almost like uh, Silicon Valley was a satire, but it has this almost bleak look on almost similar like you said Black Mirror, where it looks at the dark side of it. But then says, like, this is li- literally happening. And they kind of did that. Basically, the keynote came up and said, like, look, you've been given s- – we have so much data and so much data. What have you gotten? Nothing. Your life isn't that much better. It's like, well, we want to strip you of all your decisions and let us decide for you and provide you exactly what you need. Um, And so, like, in the case of, like, for example, the the guilty about eating animals, essentially people who felt extreme guilt around eating animals, they provided them – like apparently a big gigantic steak to eat um, and things like that. And, you know, essentially she gets up on stage and says, like, look, everyone's worried about the future. Everyone's feeling anxiety around technology and stressed about making everyday decisions. It's like we're going to basically use that data to make the best decisions for you. Yeah. I mean, and I think that brings up a good point about like events. Do Should we be doing this hyper personalization and using this data? And like how can data be exploited for the bad side of the events industry
0: it's um it's tricky so we're we're in we're in the field of behavioral change you know Uh, if if people are um like you can create art installations where the sole purpose is the artist wants to express themselves uh in let's say an experience and in that instance there is not a um a stakeholder involved with the expressed interest on, on um, having people want to believe a certain thing or feel differently about a certain thing outside of that one way that an experience could happen. The rest of it is someone paying for an event in order to have people come away feeling a certain way. And in that instance, you're saying that they come in one way and, and you want them to come out another way. And to do that, You can either say you can do that poorly by guessing, as we've been doing for the last, you know, hundreds of years in events where we do our best, but, we, you know, we do a shotgun approach and we treat all attendees like they're all the same, or you can do it efficiently with as much means as you can possibly, you know, uh, gather and uh, understand who is there and what makes them feel good uh, and what makes them feel certain ways. Like, for instance, if you want to incite the emotion of, I don't know, embarrassment or uh, anxiety in people, you could introduce elements into an experience that will produce anxiety for different groups of people. If you understand what their triggers are, um, that anxiety could then potentially be utilized by turning people into consumers of specific products, advertising on television specifically around the news um, does a good job of, of cultivating people who are at the heightened fear uh, positions in order to then convert them to products that relieve the uh, uh, that types of fear, either specifically or just through the consumption uh, methodology alone. Like psychologists work hand in hand with marketers on productization all the time for this. So this is going on all the time um, on a broad level. Now it's going on into a room where you can say that there's 67 people in a room, and we know the 67 uh most powerful, unique triggers for these people. Not only do we know each one of their names, but we know some people are creeped out by the names, so we don't tell them their names. Um but they feel good this way because, you know, whatever whatever you want. Like they just did it as a show of brute force power of what they can do because it's like a fun activation mm-hmm. for a television show. But if you're into real behavioral uh you know, you could see, you know, you could read certain clues about people and determine that some of the stuff might be creepy, so best to not play your hand too hard and let people know how much you know about them, but be subtler while others would like the less subtlety. Um, that's really where I find it funny with this stuff, because I think that everyone wants personalization, customization, and less friction, uh, and more um, of satisfaction in their experiences, and other people are... Um, subjectively creeped out by by it going too far for them. Knowing where too far is for other people right now in this period, where I think too far is a significant number of people, um, is going to be you know the trick. And then I think over time that le- that bar will go further and further back to the point where again minority report, where people aren't really squeamish about it at all.
1: I think you bring up a good point about, like, what is considered too far, too. I mean, let me know what you think about this. But do you think it's um, okay to say, let's push it too far and survey people afterwards and say, what what'd you think? But the question is, does that create damage within your attendees to them? They don't want to ever attend the event again? Or do you think they'll just be back next year as long as you say, like, look, we took it too far. Sorry
0: um i think that there are ways to mitigate that risk by creating smaller sample groups and focus groups um like you don't necessarily have to treat your core attendees like um guinea pigs you can have other guinea pigs in the form of surveys and focus groups to be able to uh put a diverse group of people together in a room who represents um the different types of attendees and then and push and pull on them and see what will make them go down the, the maze for cheese and what will make them stop um, I think that 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 kind of work is done all the time by the content that you put out and paying attention to your analytics, um, your email response rates and uh, segmentation that you can, you know, create there to determine what makes people weird. Like you can have – you can introduce those same types of elements in the email segmentation and see if people, you know, and have a survey uh, that way. So it doesn't have to be all or nothing uh, and it doesn't have to be apples to apples. But I think, like, honestly – the whole idea of Westworld, to me, once they have made the revel, or I guess realization that this is an experiment on not, um, not for the benefit of those who are park coming attendees. to the park. Yeah, exactly. The park attendees or the Facebook users, mm-hmm. right? Like they are, they're the deliverable. Um, what it really made me think of is, boy, like. The, the people who attended the park for the last, you know, I don't know, decades or whatever, they're just a focus group. Cause not only are they trying, I was like, well, I was like, yeah. they could replace these people and put them out into the world. And they're like, no, 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 they were thinking way bigger than that. They were like, how do we change the views of humanity? And you do that by having a deeper understanding of humanity. So the park were were a series of tests to see what people liked and what people didn't, which to me is a live event. I'm like, oh, this is a focus group and a live event. You put people in there, you see what their stimuli, what turns them on with these heightened experiences that we have at live events. Like you were at Kid Meeting Leaders, right? Yep. So you saw Maroon 5, you saw Mm a speaker that made you bored, you saw people that you didn't want to see and you had to try to avoid, Uh, you were hungry, Um, you, uh, you needed some time to yourself. Like you had peak, um, probably highs and troughs and, and like, uh, what do you call it? Uh, peaks that were higher than mine in the last couple days of like hanging out with sick kids. So uh, you as a focus group of paying attention to your behavior in those three days would produce much better results of understanding of what makes you tick on the higher ends. Um, because the stimuli was so big, right? And I think that that's what Westworld was doing, and I think that that's what we can do with the live events. It really is the data exhaust of attendees uh, measuring that and then applying that to understanding of human behavior and then different types of people in order to, um, you know, get get them to do the things you want them to do.
1: Yeah, totally. And I think this brought up, uh, this, this experiment essentially that they did for this HBO um, activation brought up that, like, that, that we're in this world right now of oversharing stuff on the Internet right now. And then when it gets thrown back in you and says, like, look, look, you shared all this stuff, so now we know all this about you, it makes you also then go, like, okay, maybe, maybe I do need to, ch- like, you know, be willing to live with my choices that I've made by oversharing. I had a guy um,
0: on Facebook that I know who posted a couple months ago uh, about how he he's fed up with the percentage uh, that he got in increase for his wages and that he's going to start looking for another job. Within two weeks, he posted, Someone ratted me out at work and said that I'm looking for another job. Somebody, I must have seen it on Facebook, who are my friends – ratted me out and now they're telling me that there there's a replacement coming for me in the next month since they have to protect themselves and i'm looking for another job and i haven't looked for another job yet and i haven't found one and then this last couple weeks was like well i have no job and my replacement's almost done and i'm done at the end of the year and all i thought about was well that's your fault like like you you used a publishing platform to take your innermost ideas and express them out there because you needed vetting and apparently you don't have like you know either a journal or people in your life that you can um vent to, to give you the, you know, the feedback that you need in order to do that. So you published it on the world wide web and I, not to use like antiquated, like, you know, ha ha words of it, but like I, I was there when there wasn't an internet, right? So like, I, I recall the idea of having ideas and not publishing them for everyone to see. And, totally. uh, you know, I do it all the time and I do it willfully and I know what I'm engaged in. And unfortunately, Facebook came on fast. I mean, I don't think it came on that fast because I had bulletin and boards in, and, and, you know, 20 years before that, but okay. For the majority of humanity, they, it came on fast. And Twitter and Instagram, faster than a lot of other uh, integrations happen. Like the, the the year that the phone came out, and then the year that most people had a phone was decades apart, right? And then the mm-hmm. year of Facebook coming out, and the year that fa- most people had Facebook, and at least in the U.S. as an example, was not nearly that far apart. You know, it was it was year year two. Um, so the um, it's coming on so fast that you didn't realize. Wait a minute! I'm not paying for this. I paid twenty five dollars, thirty dollars to see a movie for two hours. How much time did you spend on Facebook last month, last week? More than two hours. He spent nothing. Yeah. And they're also doing pretty well, you know. He's one of the richest people in the world, you know, and he's younger than me, which is disappointing to my parents probably. But the, uh <laughs> I think that we're just – so much of technology, I always think about it like this. Technology is moving at an exponential increase. Our emotional reaction to technology has no ability to move at the same pace. Hmm. So it's going to happen. Yeah. It's moving really fast. But we as a people aren't prepared to grow that quickly, you know, how we react to it. So it's often used for, you know, negative things at first and it evens out, you know, it, and uh, I think right now is, is maybe there needs to be, unfortunately, because we have to be, you know, people aren't all accountable. We need to have a, a campaign of awareness of what what is d- data about ourselves, what we are putting it out there uh, and and like where we're doing it? like when you write someone an email and using a free email service that's being scrubbed to so look for keywords in order to deliver advertising to you or to understand your behavior more and more so AI, you know which you know this show gets into uh, and obviously is a big part of the conversation around CES every year AI. The problem with AI 15, 20 years ago when people were thinking about it was it's going to be moved really, really slowly because we just, it takes too long to manually input data into it for it to learn. Cut to social media age where it's like, no, it has so much human data applicable to it. Its ability to, to learn about us is like, it, it's, it's completely like it can just turn it on.
1: Yeah. I, th- I think it'll be interesting to see in the future too. I mean, like, uh, being, Uh, a little bit of guessing of what it might look like is that, I mean, all it's going to take is someone to create some sort of realistic system that allows you to collect data, scrub the internet, and tell you, build profiles on people. And then all they have to do is open an API and then say, insert into my registration system. Insert into my, you know, I'm thinking from the business standpoint, CRM. So then that way when I get a, when someone requests a quote, oh, boom, I know everything about them, all their
0: kids, everything I can find on the internet.
1: Their behaviors.
0: Too. I mean, that, when do they buy? It's coming. What what um, makes them angry? What makes them happy? Uh, like I don't even care so much about like if they have kids or any of that stuff because it's just too big of a group. Like get me down to the point of this is their fears. This makes them. This makes them uh, trust. Trust and fear. Those are the two n- number one behaviors that I'm looking for as a marketer of what triggers those things because I want to be able to do whatever I can in marketing to take you from lack of awareness to awareness to trust as fast as possible. And like that comes through, you know, personalization is a level of trust. You know, like uh, before, historically, you knew someone, you shook their hand, that's how they knew your name. And that took a level of trust and barriers put in place to be in the same social circles to, you know, you must know somebody I know. Now it's all circles and connections and networks, uh, and it's, it's as fast as light. So, you know, I think that, like, face to face has been, like, kind of a, a, kind of a refuge from this type of, like, you, like, thirsty things that come at me in LinkedIn. Like, do you see, like, how flimsy some of the stuff that comes at, at you in LinkedIn is? It's like, oh, hey, um, I see that you're an entrepreneur. Uh, I offer, you know, <laughs> I know you're like, an entrepreneur.
1: I, I, oh, hey, I, we're in a, we're a couple of groups or, like, hey, I see you're in the events. Let me industry, talk to you my... about
0: Bitcoin and you're like, ugh. I wish I had an email, Instagram, and LinkedIn filter that had the word Bitcoin in it that would just go in the trash. Like, it's always some bro <laughs> that's like, hey, man, I can get you some creatine and Bitcoin and coach you about it being an influencer.
1: Luckily, luckily, no one messaged me about Bitcoin, but I think by Oof. using that publicly now- It's I'm done. About to get it's an index. It's this done. is on the internet. It's done. Westworld's going to be coming up to me and talking to me about Bitcoin
0: now. <laughs> it's so terrible.
1: Yeah, so- um, is there? An- I don't know. Any other insights at all from the, from this, uh, creepy, as I'll call it, activation? I love it. People I love
0: it. I love testing yeah. humanity. I love seeing the limits. I think where we're at right now. I think different groups would react to this completely differently. So I think it's, it just comes down to, um, the execution of it and the speed they have. The more time they had to do it, they could probably curate mm-hmm. these conversations and make it so no one's creeped out, even though they have tons of information because yeah. of who gets creeped out and who doesn't.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm curious to know. I mean, like, probably some more information is going to come out of this in the the future. But if anyone who's listening knows anybody who was part of this activation or knows anybody at Giant Spoon, give us a shout. But like, I would love to hear how much prep time they had, their process for which they did it. How did they? You know, obviously they probably hired some sort of acting company that could like really memorize all the data. You know, this like, is an event did they decide? Icons
0: episode that would be killer. yeah. Epic, yeah,
1: for sure, for sure. So um maybe we'll get that one over on Event Icons. If you haven't listened to our other podcast Event Icons, just go to event-icons.com, sign up for that one too. Um, but we'll definitely try to get it. Um And yeah, I'm I, I'm really excited to see where where this potentially can go. What scares you about this everything kind of technology? Like that. Um, see, this is a problem. I realize that we probably both have similar opinions. I was trying to like, I have fears debate about it. a little bit.
0: Macro fears. Uh, I don't have micro fears. I have macro fears.
1: What's your like macro fear for it?
0: Um, that we grow as human beings by um, being put in positions. We're offered the opportunity to grow by being put into positions where we aren't comfortable. Um, that we don't. That things come out of left field that we don't expect, um, and we have the ability to overcome it. Like human, the history of humanity is a, a history of adaptation to uh, things that it shouldn't have been able to overcome. And if you have a world that is tailored to based on the things that you've already done to give you more and more of it, I mean, as bad as echo chambers are for um, keeping people's minds small and keeping uh, people's worldview small. Imagine if everything was an echo chamber, like everything was feeding into the biases that you've already established your ability to grow, and for us to grow, would be diminished. All we would be doing, mm-hmm. you know, is having a bunch like we, like for instance, if you always drank coffee and you had a lot of Internet of Things items in your house, and and it would um have the coffee delivered to you the exact way you always like it, and this all you would do is you'd be built into this, like uh, you know, never ending like lo- this loop, yeah, loop. The ending loop yeah. that you'd, you'd type, be, living, but, <laughs> which is probably basically what the show is right. talking you about are a in robot some ways, right? Of, instead of what we really are which is this messy adaptive you know um but what if someone wants that what if someone doesn't want to change
1: and you said
0: they, I was in that this was conversation today honestly like with somebody who is in a uh like a minority group of people who uh you know it was saying that like literally posted on twitter uh a friend of mine somebody i know posted that Ricky Gervais's uh monologue was great so i i blocked them and I said, I'm curious, do you, do you fear what will happen from an echo chamber of you eliminating people who don't like the kind of even comedy that you like? And that person said, well, since people who are, uh, transphobic are, are trying to attack, you know, people like me all the time, it's not a preference of comfort for me. It, it's, it's d- distancing myself from people who would do me harm. And I said, okay, you know, like, for me, I'm like, I'm in a privileged position that no one's trying to do me harm. And it's just an idea. It's objective ideas that I just see everywhere. So nothing's really like that painful. So like, I I, I had a better understanding of that person's position of curating the information that they see, uh, in order to only, you know, protect quote unquote, this paradigm that they have and not be subjected to what they believe is something that is negatively and hurtful.
1: Yeah. Everyone wants to avoid pain, right? And they want to protect themselves from pain. But avoiding pain makes
0: makes it so, like, to we, when you, like, imagine your news avoids pain. Right. If your news avoids pain, then you're like, the world is is always exactly like I thought it was, right? And And it just confirms your biases over and over and over again. So, like. I'm looking at, like, this kind of a, a personalization of, like, well, you don't want to see this kind of news. You don't want to get this kind of information. It could trigger you. It could do this. It could do that. And what you'll end up result is is a pretty safe, comfortable life where you get from A to B as, you know, as quickly as possible with the least amount of friction as possible. But, again, I, I look at marked... Same with events. Definitely. Totally. Yeah, we, and we do that, right? Like, we, we design events the the what we believe the best events are the best events that understand what people want and we give it to them. And the reality is what if we designed events that you know challenged people uh
1: to push me out of the comfort zone. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean like I think about it, like a lot of the events that I've gone to the best experience I've had pushed me out of my comfort zone yep. in some ways. Like I like for example like I think I went to um, I went to C two Montreal I was by myself. I don't usually go to events by myself. I don't like being by myself. I go to events by myself. It's weird. Totally different 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 sides of the yeah, coin, yeah, totally. right? Um, and what's interesting is that I think it was a really good experience though because because I was by myself, I had a lot of time to introspect and reflect on the event and re- like just see it. Good show for that. And I think that really really helped a lot. And like um, another example, of this is. Um, when I went to an event in Panama, I literally had no idea what to expect. No, no electricity, middle of the jungle, you know, f- worries of getting um, Zika virus and all the things like that. But when we were there, it pushed you so far. Your comfort zone, it, like, released you in some ways. And I think you bring up a good point. Like, if we – and that's what this article basically talks about. If we take away – strip all choice and just feed people into what they want, are they not growing and experiencing new things? I mean – only the audience can answer that question, I feel like. So like, um, so.
0: discomfort, you know, might be something that we, we consider in our design. Um, mm-hmm. and, it, and that is as opposite to the ideas of personalization as possible. Um, I don't know. That's where I believe that events are, you know, a pivot point between art and science. Like, I think that you have, you have, it's, your responsibility to understand the science of people. It's also your, Mm uh, you know, responsibility to, to create a kind of, uh, piece of art or something that makes people feel something in the way that it expresses what you believe, um, in order to, you know, get them to somewhere that they haven't experienced, you know, you could just deliver the same thing over and over again and optimize it. And you'll find that, you know, you would be, you know, in this loop, uh, of retention mm-hmm. potentially. But if you really want to, like, make an impact, um, the next level requires you to make a leap of faith. And that's, that's I'm gonna number- Break your loop and leave the park! That's it? Leave <laughs> the park.
1: <laughs> well, I, um, I mean, like, my, my, my only fear, as I was, as you're asking that question, I kind of start reflecting. I think yours is a really good solid example. I probably would add that to mine for sure. Um, for me, I think like I'm I'm definitely on the bleeding edge. I love technology, and I'm actually kind of excited for that moment where technology will scare me, too. me, because because it hasn't quite happened quite yet. Um, but it also might be like the optimist in me and things like that, and the just the general nerd. But one thing that makes me nervous is in this kind of we're gonna capture data and personalize your experience is. And it's kind of stupid is the in between before when we don't have it now, when it starts to happen and when it's perfect and when it does its job well. It will be the crappy time when when it's going to be like, Will, oh, Will really is excited and energetic and he's an extrovert, right? And it starts just putting me in front of people for like the entire conference, right? And I'm just like nope. burnt out by day one and I'm exhausted and I, it doesn't realize that I have introverted te- tendencies, right? Yep. Like, and things like that. Like, I think like that, 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 that in between where it's not going to be perfect. However, like, you know, I think that we, like all good technologies will all get through it. And, you know, just knowing how fast technology is moving right now, like. Yeah, we've experienced man, probably a lot of get fixed real quick.
0: clunky in between iterations of things before and made it on the other side. The the only difference of this is potentially uh, this is at a higher level where we're trying to deal with people's emotions. So uh, the damage of it might be a little bit more severe. But I take your point. And maybe though. it's not – Yeah. Maybe not starting with emotions immediately. Maybe starting with things
1: like, for example, like maybe it's collecting. So they did like obviously food preferences in this one, for example, like maybe it's taking away the choice of food preferences and when I'm hungry or something like that automatically brings me food. Maybe the next thing is automatically curating the content that I want to go see. Then it starts to break into like super personalization with networking. So we like, we purposely force you to get interactive with people that we think that you would want to see. And then maybe then it can start to pull on those emotional heartstrings a bit. So it's interesting to see where – I mean if you think about it, this is a direct – as weird as it is, like I, we we kind of uh, – I was kind of struggling whether we should talk about this on Ventech podcast or not. I felt this was more about experience design, which is more appropriate for this than the, rather the tech side. But this is definitely an, a direct – um you know, uh, reaction, a reaction or reaction or direct effect from the technology that we've gotten. Like the fact that we have so many social networks, we're publishing so much information about ourselves and that, you know, we, we release this information wouldn't have been possible. Like you said, like, you know, People 10 years ago or so. I went,
0: like the government listening on their phone calls. And now we take pictures of, of our kids and we say, Hey, we're going on vacation for a week. You know, like, think about, <laughs> totally. like, like how, you know, like, I used to leave the lights on to make sure that robbers wouldn't think I was, you know, think I was still there. And all this other nonsense where now we just, like, literally put it out there. But there's that, and then there's the element where we're all doing that. So um, it, it, it has to, like, people have to comb through quite a bit of data. And in order, and because we were all, like, information overload because everyone's publishing and everyone's doing this, like, how do you reach people? And the only way to reach people really is to do the thing that they're, that they're basically saying to do, which is to, you know, go personalized, uh, because it's, it's what grabs them. Like they're publishing all this information. They're giving every second of their lives out to the world. And they're also saying it's very difficult to put something in front of me or for me to spend any time on anything because nothing is speaking to me specifically enough. So like the user again is, is begging for all this stuff and every once in a while it wakes up from this dream saying what do you mean i have to pay for it you know with with the idea like i should yeah. be able to have a facebook not pay for it have all of uh everything about me you know hidden and not known it's just like entitlement like it's not a real thing and like there are mm-hmm. search engines that exist that are completely closed off right it was that duck duck one or duck go yeah duck duck go Outside of Kevin White, I don't know anybody that in the world that uses it. Um, well, apparently, it just surpassed Bing in terms of usage on Android phones. Yeah, I'm sure it's big, right? I mean, I just don't care, obviously, because I live on the grid. It <laughs> doesn't matter to me. And I just, again, I'm thoughtful in what I put in. You know, I think, um, you know, I'm not saying that there's things that are that are in my life that are that are not private. I just, I just look at the internet not as an extension of my body, but as a separate thing. And I, I have at least enough of a trigger, and maybe that's being an exennial and the difference between a millennial and exennial, because I really believe that there is a difference, is the knowledge and understanding that these are... Not like water or I guess even, you know, Victorians wouldn't have thought water was like this, but not just something that's always there and flowing and, and, you know, uh, just a given. Um, it, it is, it's a separate thing. And when I engage with it, I am actively doing it and I understand the repercussions of what I'm doing and I make that choice and I accept the consequences. I think most people don't. I think that they just look at and and it's easier to like use Facebook to to say all these nasty things about Mark Zuckerberg. And you're like, you don't even understand what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Like he gave you the it's means to complain about the thing that you're using to complain. It, it's
1: <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It's definitely it's a definitely I think a frustrating time too for sure. I I mean I'm curious to know too from the audience like what do you guys kind of think about this sort of data collection? Do you think it's making lives better or worse? Or what do you think? Are you are you you almost ask the survey questions that they ask in the survey? Are you nervous about the future and anxious about where it's going to go and what was the other question? Uh, do you uh, do you uh, get work? I mean, um, yeah. Find extreme guilt around eating animals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but but yeah, I, I I'm curious to know. Um, I think we probably. Yeah yeah. Anything else that you kind of want to wrap this one up with about this uh, activation and kind of what what your any last
0: I'm you're excited thoughts? by stuff like this that that really. Um, I think for the rest of us that organizations like this do these things to produce um strong emotional responses. Like honestly, any experience, activation, live event, etc., that is designed specifically with intent to make people feel something that is um that we can all learn from is is one of the most exciting things I can hear about. And I, I think frankly, this is what this is the apex of what we do. You know, to to do to create an experience um, that that makes people question absolutely everything that they do in their lives and how they do it and stop and take a moment and tend to reconsider uh, what they do and then have other people who weren't even there, like, think about it and then talk to, you know, whoever's listening to this about it. I mean, that's a ripple effect. So, like, I, I talk about this a lot more because, like, in the last, like, year or so, I've had my eyes opened as far as what the potential of events are. And for me, uh, i probably say this in many episodes to become – the best events are not experiential events. The best events are events that create movements. Um And I think this is the potential to create a movement, you know, about, you know, it, it at least chip away at it or start these discussions. Because, again, it went from an experience that people had that was immersive, experiential, to other people, like, being so uh taken back by it that the world went, you know, and and heard about it. And then for people like us to tell other people about it, that's a movement. You know, that is that is bigger than just uh, uh trying to change someone's behavior that's trying to change behaviors of people and turn them into change agents and uh yeah. so for me this is these are the best events period i
1: agree i agree 100% so let us know out in the audience what you think whether you think this is one of the best events we want to know we want you to join in on a conversation um obviously that's what this is all about because we want to you know spark some controversy in the events industry and get you guys thinking a little bit um so definitely let us know Nick, thank you so much for uh, joining today on uh, Event Brew. And thanks, you never said that. At all. Obviously, oh, thanks, man. Well, just wait. I'm gonna look up a crap
0: ton of date on you, and then oh, I've got skeletons. They're barely things buried, the so enjoy.
1: <laughs> um, so, thank you for joining me. We're sad, obviously, that Dustin and Tui couldn't join us, but they're out on events and uh, out in the world doing the real life things because we all have real jobs too. Um, but thank you audience for joining us as well um if you really enjoyed this episode make sure to rate and review on all your favorite podcasting platforms especially apple podcasts make sure to subscribe across whatever platform you feel is best if you're li- listening to us on the website or you're listening to it on youtube and you'd rather listen to it somewhere else just head over to eventbrew.com and got all the links to apple Podcasts, pocket Casts, spotify all the things let us know we want you to subscribe and join our family the brew crew and we'd love to see you there um also make sure to head over to eventbrew.com because that's where all the transcriptions, also the link and pictures from this event, if you want to see a little bit more about what they did um and see kind of how they did it and dives a little bit deeper. We skimmed over a little bit of stuff, um, but definitely if you want to know more about this event and how they pulled it off, make sure to head over to eventbrew.com and check out the resource links down below. Well, I think that'll do it for this week's uh, event brew. Nick, thanks again for joining thanks us. And me. uh let's uh let's see you guys all next time on event brew
0: thanks again for listening to event brew be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcasting app also be sure to head to eventbrew.com and leave us a comment about this week's episode see you next time on event brew